Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to Doctors in the House. My name is Dr. Daryl Hill and it's a pleasure to have you back in the house. And let me get started by first saying to you all, Happy New Year. We were at a new year and last year we were starting to get into how important our diet, our exercise, and our lifestyles are when it comes to staying healthy. So we're going to continue with that momentum because as you all know, you know, I'm with Laurel Medical Associates, a physician, and all day long um, my goal is to help prevent health problems and if you have health problems, to manage them and to prevent complications. And we all know by now a huge part of keeping you healthy, keeping myself healthy, keeping anyone healthy, is our diet. It's become quite clear that we may be not as knowledgeable, misinformed, uneducated about it, or just we just don't know. But as you can imagine, that's no excuse as we try to preserve health and improve health, whether it's obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, cancer, all these things come right back to our diet. So I'm looking forward to continuing today to give some very important um, video presentations on these topics. It's really about educating you, educating myself, so that we can um, preserve our health, improve our health, all those things. You're going to hear in the video today a very important word that you may already know, and that's called glycemic index, glycemic index. And what that really means is every food carbohydrate we take in gets broken down into sugar. And some foods, especially our simple carbs, get broken down into sugar immediately, and that leads to spikes in our insulin levels, which ultimately can lead to a variety of problems. Um, those foods, which tend to be healthier, have more fiber and wholesomeness associated with them, um, tend to release sugar at a very slow rate, and your body can manage it better, and you won't have the spiking levels of insulin. And those foods tend to have a low glycemic index, and especially when you're trying to prevent diabetes, treat diabetes, you really have to understand that concept. So today we'll talk a little bit about that in the video. And I really like this particular video because it's a big comprehensive look at our diet, our nutrition. The video we showed last week was very informative. I want to thank you all for the positive feedback, which told me that you learned a lot from that particular video. I think today's video will be just as informative. We're, we're probably going to break it up a little bit, give me a chance to make a few comments as we travel through this video, and I uh, look forward to it. But you know, I just want to remind you, processed foods, refined foods, they're all good and tasty, but they're packed with a lot of calories and in many cases, no nutritional value. So I'm not going to say those things you shouldn't do, but I want you to at least be informed about it. So at this point, I'm going to say, uh, let me just remind you, I'm with Laurel Medical Associates. I can be found at laurelmedicine.com. I'm also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and our goal is to help you stay healthy, help to educate you, and we encourage you to share this very important information. That being said, I'm going to say let's go ahead and get the video going. The human body runs on food. Once, food shortage was the major concern. After the Second World War, technological advances in food production led to a new era that was characterized by an overabundance of inexpensive food and relatively little physical activity. In the decades that followed, other socio-cultural shifts continued to contribute to the changing way we ate. Women who had previously controlled most of the average family's food preparation now entered the workforce in significant numbers, 
and the processed food industry began to capitalize on our need for fast, convenient food. This meant that fewer meals were being cooked at home, and since convenience foods were generally higher in calories than home-cooked meals, the average person's caloric intake increased dramatically. Academics studying the intersection of food and health, like Michael Pollan, have written extensively about the implications of this cultural shift on the way we eat today. To the extent we outsource our food, First, we eat less healthy food, more salt, fat, and sugar, but we also eat more food because processed food is often designed as snack food and marketed to us as a way to eat continually through the day. The changes in the way we as a society ate led to the emergence of obesity as a recognized chronic disease with well-defined health consequences. And medical recommendations were made to try and address this growing health crisis. In the second half of the 20th century, a lot of attention was focused on reducing saturated fat and total fat in our diets. And the processed food industry responded by giving us what we wanted. But they still had a vested interest in selling their products. So they found other ways to make the reduced fat products taste good. One way they did this was by adding significantly more sugar and other forms of sugar like corn syrup to almost everything we ate. This not only made the reduced fat foods more appealing, but it also increased their shelf life. So the food industry had a huge incentive to add corn syrup and other sweeteners to packaged foods. The resulting increase in our intake of simple sugars fueled our modern epidemics of obesity and diabetes. These shifts in our food consumption patterns have led us to a point in history where a physiological adaptation, our ability to store energy as fat, has become maladaptive. The balance between food availability and energy expenditure has been disrupted, and it's left us with an exponential increase in the incidence of obesity over the past 60 years, an epidemic that the World Health Organization has labeled a worldwide public health crisis. Over the past 60 years, the amount of sugar consumed as part of the typical Western diet has increased dramatically. Significant increases in sugar consumption have been documented in most countries where heavily processed food has become readily available. Surprisingly, some experts estimate that only one-sixth of our sugar comes from desserts or foods that we think of as sweets. The majority of our sugar comes in the form of highly processed food and sweetened beverages. Many people are becoming aware of the need to reduce their sugar intake in order to maintain a healthy body weight. But what many people still aren't aware of is the fact that sugar under a variety of different pseudonyms is added to so many foods that we don't expect to contain sugar. Things like packaged breads, condiments, chips, sauces, and salad dressings. In 2015, the World Health Organization released new guidelines strongly recommending that all adults and children reduce their sugar intake to less than 10% of total calories consumed. These recommendations go on to suggest that a further reduction of sugar intake to less than 5% of total calories would likely have additional health benefits. These recommendations focus on free sugars, those that are added to foods by the manufacturer, the cook, or the consumer, as well as sugars that are naturally present in honey, syrups, and fruit juices. But they don't apply to intrinsic sugars found in whole fruits and vegetables because the World Health Organization found no reported evidence linking the consumption of intrinsic sugars to adverse health effects. The sugar that naturally occurs in milk is also excluded from that 5%. For the average adult consuming a 2,000 calorie per day diet, reducing their sugar intake to 5% would mean that ideally no more than 100 calories per day should come from free sugars. 
since free sugars offer four calories of energy per gram, this would translate into approximately 25 grams of free sugar, about six teaspoons. Six teaspoons seems like a generous allocation when you picture spooning it out of a sugar bowl. But when you begin to look at the nutrition labels of most packaged foods, the numbers begin to add up incredibly quickly. For example, a one half cup serving of organic granola can contain 16 grams or four teaspoons of sugar. If one half of a cup of regular sweetened yogurt is added to that cereal for breakfast, this can add another four teaspoons of sugar and you've already exceeded your recommended sugar intake by two full teaspoons before leaving the house. There's a growing consensus that we need to cut down on our sugar consumption and yet there may be a downside to vilifying yeah, we'll sugar the way we did with dietary fats. If we only emphasize the need to cut yeah. down on our sugar intake without simultaneously emphasizing moderation and balance in our diet as a whole, we risk a situation where fats and animal proteins are seen by the general public as free food and the processed food industry again steps in and supersizes. It's been interesting to read the research and see the shift in attention from um, treating fat as the evil nutrient to treating sugar as the evil nutrient. Now we went overboard on fat. It turns out fat is not as evil as we thought and saturated fat is not um, uh, necessarily the thing to worry most about in your diet. And in fact our obsession with saturated fat led us to promote trans fats which turned out to actually be lethal. So. I'm very wary of focusing all our attention on a single nutrient. Sugar has been part of the human diet for a very long time. It's prized by people all over the world. We have evolved to like the flavor of sugar for very good reasons, but we are eating too much of it. And I think we definitely need to cut down on the amount of sugar we're eating, but I think companies need to disclose added sugar, which they don't now have to do in processed foods. I'm very concerned that sugar is being added to foods that never were sweetened before. Things like bread now have sugar in them and condiments of all kinds. Because if you put more sugar in a food, you will sell more of it. So we need to be conscious of it. But does it explain everything about our diet? No, it really doesn't. All nutrients are not created equal, especially when it comes to their effect on our health. So shifting our focus from nutrients to foods can help us develop better eating habits that will support our long-term health. Getting our head around the idea that we should be focused on the category of foods, not nutrients, is I think very important. And I think doctors should be talking to patients about foods, even if as scientists and researchers, they see through foods to nutrients. It may be a helpful way to study foods, it's not a helpful way to communicate about them. Let's look at an example of how focusing on nutrients rather than food can leave us confused and potentially consuming a diet that's dangerous to our health. In recent years, a lot of attention has been focused on the fact that many of us are eating too many carbohydrates. There are lots of popular diet trends that encourage us to drastically reduce the carbohydrates in our diet, even to the point of limiting our intake of fresh fruit. At the same time, some of these low-carb diets seem to suggest that protein and fats can be eaten freely, but a diet that's very high in animal protein and contains no whole grains or not enough fruits and vegetables could leave us with serious problems in the long run. In fact, the category carbohydrates includes a wide spectrum of foods, some of which are really important for our health and some of which can compromise it. Whole grains like brown rice and rolled oats are carbohydrates that provide our bodies with a usable source of energy and bound together in that very same food is a significant amount of fiber, which slows the release of glucose from that food into the bloodstream. The glycemic index of a food is a measure of the speed at which glucose is released into the bloodstream after it's digested. A whole grain like brown rice or quinoa will result in a slower release of glucose and a more muted insulin response. On the other hand, a food that's high in refined carbohydrates like white bread or soda will lead to a more rapid release of glucose into the blood 
And in response to this, the body releases a large amount of insulin, the hormone in our bodies that lowers blood sugar. Because spikes of glucose and insulin lead to less stable blood sugar levels, eating foods that are refined, especially highly processed carbohydrates, can result in an earlier return of hunger and a tendency to overeat. The glycemic index of a food is lower when the food contains fiber or when it's eaten in combination with protein foods or foods containing some dietary fat. For people who are struggling to manage their weight or their blood sugar levels, eating foods that have a low glycemic index is especially important, but choosing low glycemic foods is generally a good idea for all of us. So when we talk about dietary carbohydrates, we're actually talking about a very broad family of foods, some that can be harmful to our long-term health and some that can support it. Learning how to choose the right foods within each nutrient category is one of the keys to long-term success. Protein-rich foods, including animal and plant-based proteins, can also vary enormously in their quality and their implications for our long-term health. Proteins are often said to act as building blocks for the lean tissues in our bodies, but they serve many other important functions in body regulation, supportive immune function, and a variety of other roles in our physiology. There are 20 types of amino acids needed to fulfill all of these functions, but only nine of them are essential, meaning that our bodies can't make enough of them, so we rely on getting these from our food. In general, animal sources of protein like fish and eggs provide all of the essential amino acids in high enough concentrations that these foods are called complete protein sources. In contrast, Plant-based protein sources like beans, lentils, nuts, and tofu tend to be incomplete sources of protein. It might seem that since plant-based proteins are incomplete in their nutrient content, that they're nutritionally inferior compared with animal-based proteins. But in fact, the health benefits of substituting plant-based proteins for animal-based ones, ideally a few days a week, this far outweighs the risk of falling short on essential amino acids. Plant-based proteins can be combined with other foods to provide a complete amino acid profile. In fact, many traditional food combinations like corn and black beans or rice and lentils are based on the principle of combining complementary proteins. Meals that contain vegetarian sources of protein also contain more fiber and less fat, especially saturated fat, than meals that feature animal-based protein. And even though saturated fat may not be as harmful as we once thought, it can still contribute to elevated levels of LDL cholesterol if we eat too much of it. So moderating our intake of red meat, for example, is still a sensible idea. In general, the typical Western diet contains more animal-based protein than we need to sustain good health. People who eat lots of plant foods, eat a plant-based diet, tend to have much better health and better longevity than people who eat a heavy meat diet. So if you're thinking of trying a low-carb, high-protein diet, it's important to pay attention to the kinds of proteins that are being consumed and in what quantities. A diet high in animal protein, especially if it's poor quality animal protein, like processed meat or high fat cuts of meat, this kind of diet can be harmful to our health, even if it leads to weight loss in the short term. Processed meats often contain nitrates used as a preservative, which can damage blood vessels and contribute to hardening of the arteries. These meats also tend to be very high in sodium, which can be a um, sure. We'll go to commercial. Welcome back. A little bit of a technical difficulty, but we will come back to our video. I'm hoping you are all learning something. I know I am. You know, we heard a lot of things in that video. We, we heard about the importance of 
eating a plant-based diet, careful with the, the meats because the meats can have high amounts of sodium, which we already know. And we also got to appreciate a little bit more about what's happening with our, our blood sugar levels and insulin levels with some of the more highly processed foods. So, so at this point, I'm thinking we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break and we'll come back and hear a little bit more about you staying healthy and improving your health IQ. that are combined for completeness. As the number of regular supermarkets increases, more and more people have access to the basic ingredients they need to make simple, healthy meals. Another obstacle people erect to cooking is the idea that to cook you must go to the farmer's market and buy all local and organic food, and that's really not the case. The first and key decision, if, if health is a concern, is moving off of processed food and onto real food. I'm talking about plants and animals in their more or less natural state. Or things that are very lightly processed, like pasta or flour, or things like that. And those things are still in your supermarket. They're mostly on the periphery of the supermarket. And one way to shop is sticking to the perimeter of the store. That historically is where the produce is, where the meat is, where the fish is, and where the dairy is. When people visit the supermarket to buy perishable items like milk or eggs, the most direct routes to those items will often be stocked with the most heavily processed foods, things like cereals, chips, and sodas. In many countries today, food marketing is a big business. In the U.S. alone, billions of dollars are spent establishing brand loyalty and placing highly processed items at eye level where we can easily reach them. This can make it difficult to leave the supermarket with only the milk and the eggs we intended to buy. For this reason, it's a good idea to make a shopping list before you go to the store and then try and stick to that list. Going grocery shopping when you're hungry can also dramatically increase the temptation to buy calorie-dense, highly processed foods. Avoid the center aisles. The center aisles are where the imperishable foods, the foods that are immortal, live. And you know, food is alive and it should eventually die. And a food that doesn't, there's something we should wonder about. It's been over-processed, it's been hyper-processed. One way to tell if a food is hyper-processed is to look at the number of ingredients listed on the packaging. A food that contains fewer ingredients is almost certainly less processed. Also, if we can recognize the ingredients listed, this almost always means the food is less processed than foods containing ingredients that the average person has never heard of. And remember, foods that don't come with ingredient lists, like fruits and vegetables, are usually the best choices of all. Many people are confused by the nutrition labels they see on packaged foods in the supermarket. Before we talk about some simple tips for reading those labels, it's important to remember that some of the healthiest foods in the store, like fresh fruits and vegetables or a fillet of fish, these foods don't need nutrition labels to tell you they're nutritious. So one simple strategy for eating sensibly is to try as much as possible to avoid foods with nutrition labels because by definition, these are packaged and more heavily processed than fresh foods. Having said that, 
Since the majority of us eat at least some packaged food items, it's good to know what to look for, especially if you're comparing two packaged items and trying to make an informed decision. Firstly, it's important to keep in mind that the nutrition label may not reflect the contents of the entire package. There's often more than a single serving in one container, and this can be confusing and misleading to many people. I saw a mini loaf of banana bread in a shop the other day and thought, hmm, not bad. The sugar, fat, and calories in this are pretty reasonable. Then I saw that there were five servings in that mini loaf. Multiplied by five, the nutrition label didn't look so healthy anymore. Underneath the serving size, we see total calories. This probably isn't the best way to judge whether something is good for you or not, because some foods like nuts and avocados, for example, are high in calories, but also very healthy, as long as they're eaten in reasonable amounts. But if weight loss is a goal, and you're comparing two cereals, for example, the calories in a packaged food item are something you want to keep an eye on. The next thing to look at, especially if we're comparing breakfast cereals, is the dietary fiber. Dietary fiber is important for maintaining gastrointestinal health, stabilizing blood glucose levels after eating, and delaying the return of hunger. So choosing a cereal that's higher in fiber is usually a sensible thing to do. Next, we want to look at the sugars in the cereal. There's convincing evidence that our modern epidemics of obesity and diabetes are at least partly related to the fact that we tend to eat far too much sugar. To convert the amount of sugar in grams to teaspoons, just divide by four. You might be alarmed to see that some children's cereals contain five or more teaspoons of sugar per serving. Next, we want to look at the total amount of fat and the breakdown of the fat content in the food. In general, the fats in processed foods tend to be less healthy than the fats found in plant foods like avocados or nuts. These are naturally occurring unsaturated fats. Saturated fats like those found in red meats and butter can be eaten in reasonable amounts and trans fats which are more commonly found in processed foods these kinds of fats should be avoided entirely. In fact, legislation in the US was passed in 2015 ordering food manufacturers to stop using trans fats because of the associated increased risk of atherosclerosis and heart disease. Choosing foods with less sodium is also a good idea, given the fact that packaged foods often contain much more added salt than the less processed versions of those foods. Nutrition labels will also often contain a list of vitamins and minerals found in the food, and this can be misleading because added vitamins and minerals don't necessarily mean that the food is healthy, and in fact, some unhealthy foods have added vitamins and minerals because the manufacturers of those foods know that nutrition claims tend to increase sales to the health-conscious consumer. Knowing how to use nutrition labels to compare packaged food items is important, but just eating fewer packaged foods and crowding those out with plant-based foods may be an even more effective way to protect our health. One of the biggest problems with the typical Western diet is the fact that much of our food is refined or highly processed. The refining process removes important nutrients like fiber, iron, and B vitamins. And this is done by food manufacturers for two reasons. Firstly, it's to give the end product a softer texture. And secondly, it's done to extend the shelf life of the resulting product. A heavily processed food is going to last longer on the supermarket shelf because pests, like mold for example, are less attracted to foods that are low in nutrients. A hamburger that's highly processed will spoil much more slowly than a hamburger made at home with mostly natural ingredients. But the question is, if highly processed food is so low in nutrients that the pests don't even want to eat it, how healthy can it be for us? In fact, 
the nutrient content of any given food is directly related to the spoil rate of that food. Foods that are very low in nutrients spoil much more slowly than foods that are rich in nutrients. One of the best predictors of a healthy diet was whether it was cooked by a human being or a large corporation. And the reason is that when we outsource the, our food preparation to big companies, they tend to cook in a certain way that isn't very healthy. They tend to use way too much salt, fat, and sugar, all of which are problematic nutrients for our health. And they tend to use the cheapest possible raw ingredients. Their business model is to start with the cheap food and process it as much as possible, make it attractive with salt, fat, and sugar. Thinking about the nutrient density of a food is another conceptual way of making sensible food decisions. The nutrient density of a food can be thought of as the amount of nutritional value, including vitamins, minerals, and fiber, divided by the calories or energy content of that food. For example, a glass of soda is high in calories without providing much in the way of nutritional value. Foods that provide lots of calories with very little nutritional value are sometimes called energy-dense foods, but their nutrient density is low. A bunch of fresh spinach, on the other hand, would be an example of a nutrient-dense food because its nutritional value is relatively high compared to its caloric content. When people talk about fast food being cheaper than fresh food, they're often referring to the fact that the cost per calorie of highly processed food is lower than that of fresh whole food. This is often true because highly processed food is so high in calories that the cost per calorie is relatively low. But if we instead look at the cost of food per unit of nutrient density, then buying fewer calories of higher nutrient density food is a much better use of our food budget. In the midst of a serious epidemic of obesity, avoiding empty calories should be near the very top of our list of priorities. One of the reasons why highly processed food is usually higher in calories is that in order to make these products sell, significant amounts of fat, sugar, and salt are added to make the nutrient-stripped foods taste good. Additives like colorants, artificial flavors, stabilizers, and other preservatives are also added to enhance packaged products and maintain the illusion that we as consumers have many choices when we walk through the supermarket aisles. The last thing we need to be aware of are highly processed foods that masquerade as healthy foods. These are products that have synthetic nutrients added back to them after they've been refined. And this is usually done to make the product seem healthy to the nutrition-aware consumer. It's important to remember that the most nutritious foods, like broccoli, don't come in packages that tell us how healthy they are. Because so many companies are competing for our food dollars, the marketing of these different variations has become extremely sophisticated. Billions of dollars are spent every year marketing processed food to us and to our children. And in the US, there are no rules about which foods can be marketed to which age groups. Also, the more time our children spend in front of a screen, the more likely they are to be exposed to this kind of food marketing. So what can we do? Let's launch a counter-marketing campaign. We, the parents of the world, have a special kind of consumer access because the consumers are our children. As they're growing up, we get to see them on a regular basis. So even though our campaign may be less flashy or less colorful than the ads they see in the world around them, our campaign can be pretty powerful too. For example, if they see us loving our fruits and vegetables, we are advertising those foods to our children. If we choose less processed foods most of the time, and if we go out of our way to find foods that are grown or raised closer to home, these actions will likely have an effect on their future choices. If you have a farmer's market nearby, take your children there. If you have space in your garden or even on your windowsill, plant something that you can later eat with your children. 
and then talk with them. Explain to them in whatever language is appropriate to their age that ads can sometimes make things seem better than they really are and that often ads can make us want things that we don't need and that aren't even good for us. Show them examples. Keep it fun and lighthearted, of course, and try to limit their exposure to screen-based ads for processed foods. But most importantly, let them know that they have a choice and that they can use that choice wisely to keep themselves healthy and happy. You all learn something and you get a chance to apply some of this information to your own personal lives. I know we all eat and understand this information on different levels, but we're all trying, I think, to get to the same place. Well, what really um, impressed me about the video was, again, how the grocery store is set up in such a way that most of your healthy items are around the periphery of the grocery store, and in the middle are your processed and ultra-processed food items. And if you think about it, the video reminded us how a lot of the products in the grocery store can last for quite some time because there really isn't much nutrition excuse me, in, in those foods and bacteria don't really want non-nutritious foods so they last forever. And as the video stated, if bacteria don't want to eat processed food, why are we eating it? So I thought that was very, very impressive and educational. You know, you know, the video talked about the cereals, the cereals, the sodas, the chips, these very high caloric foods with no nutrition, um, no, no nutritional value. So that would be a poor nutrient food quality source and that we probably want to avoid all that. And then we were also reminded too about how our children are following behind us and we need to teach them as well. In addition to the many billions of dollars being spent on marketing to us to purchase processed food. So I'm hoping that we're learning something here. As a doctor, I find this information to be critical as we all try to maintain weight and avoid chronic illness. So I really appreciate you all taking time out to learn this very important information. So at this point, we're going to go to a quick commercial break, and the next video is going to speak a little bit more on nutrition. You know, this is um, the year 2020, and it's the start of a new year, and the time for us all to get better, stay healthy, and improve our health IQ. I'll see you on the other side. foods. Then I'm going to get my dogs and just work them a little bit around. For this list, we're taking a look at popular foods that taste good but are known to cause health problems, weight gain, and an epic feeling of grossness. Next time we eat a cat burglar. Number 10, ice cream. There you go. Now that's a scoop of ice cream. Apparently we shouldn't scream for ice cream. Or maybe we should, but in the other way. 
whether you love milkshakes, sundaes, or ice cream from the container, it's full of sugar in any form and is known for being chock full of artificial ingredients and noxious fats. I don't know why you have to be such a grouch. This is really good. Here, have some. And while sugar is known for exposing you to risks of tooth decay, obesity, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes, diabetes. Many of the artificial chemicals that make up the taste you love contain neurotoxins, which are known to damage the brain and nervous system. I'm going to have peppermint stick. Yeah, me too. Can I just have peppermint stick? Sure. No, it's just called a peppermint. Peppermint dick! Number nine, bacon. What, what are you doing in my kitchen? Well, nobody knows eggs better than bacon. Sorry, Mojoholics. Bacon is definitely not as healthy as it is tasty. Oh, the main course. Ham and cheese, Versace bacon weed. According to researchers, people who eat bacon on a daily basis increase their probability of becoming diabetic by almost 20% and of getting heart disease by almost 50%. I feel like there's bacon going through my veins right now. Studies have also linked increased consumption of bacon to decreased lung function and lung disease, while the nitrates that form part of the preservatives in bacon are carcinogenic. We cook all the bacon. No exaggeration, all of the bacon. And if you have problems with high blood pressure, beware. The high sodium content in this delicious meat will make it skyrocket. My home gets foreclosed. Rub some bacon on it. My cat explodes. Rub some bacon on it. I wake up in a trunk. Rub some bacon on it. Number eight, sugary cereal. I pity the poor fool. Don't eat my cereal. The key word here, sugar. Just to give you an idea of the amount, the Environmental Working Group found that 10 of the most sugary cereals were between 41 and 56% sugar by weight. So if you're thinking Yum. this is a healthy breakfast, <laughs> you know, we need Look to really this. think again. Many cereals also contain high fructose corn syrup, which is actually worse for you than table sugar. Sugar sweet cereal is sugary delicious. In fact, it's all sugar. Oh boy, oh boy. As well, the carbohydrates that can generally be found in cereal are commonly processed and thus stripped of any nutritional quality, especially when combined with the usual artificial colors, preservatives, and other additives. I'm in love with the cocoa. I'm in love with the cocoa. I eat them by the boatload. Number seven, bagels. Anyone want one of these? Eh, anyone, anyone? Can you handle the truth? While many of us have a toasted bagel with our preferred topping on a regular basis, the average bagel contains about 350 calories. And that's without all the other calorie-filled goodness we love to put on top. Mm. Mm. So good. In addition, the majority of the bagels on the market are made with refined white flour. Sorry, I, uh, I, I had a bite of my bagel and I forgot to pray. Contrary to whole wheat or other healthier flours, the vitamins, minerals, and fiber are stripped out of this kind, leaving you with a product that has been linked to weight gain, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes. Dalkin bagels. Dalkin bagels. Dalkin bagels. Splash in the coffee. Number six, candy. What do you get when you guzzle down sweets? Eating as much as an elephant eats. Your sweet tooth might hate to hear this, but your body won't. Whether you love your chocolate bars, gummy bears, or lollipops, most contain an abundance of sugar, calories, artificial chemicals, and saturated fat. Too much of this kind of fat puts you very close to high cholesterol, which puts you at high risk for things like high blood pressure, heart disease, and even strokes. He's blocking all the chocolate. Well, what happens now, right? Oh, the pressure will get him out. Terrific pressure is building up behind the blockage. And with many calories and little to no vitamins, minerals, or nutrients, candy can make you feel full even though your body is malnourished. Climate change is the challenge of our time. We intend to succeed not by sacrificing things. Number five, potato chips. Hey, kid. How about one of those chips? Just one. Bet you can't eat just one, but maybe you should. In addition to offering you tons of bad carbs and absolutely no health benefits, 
According to Health Canada, potato chips normally contain some of the highest levels of acrylamide, a crystalline chemical that is formed when food is fried or baked at high heat and has been proven to cause cancer. Also, if you're trying to lose weight, chips are the last things you want to be eating. Many brands contain an abnormally high percentage of salt, and dietary sodium has been linked to weight gain and obesity. Number four, hot dogs and sausages. You have a problem with me eating a hot dog guy? I'm trying to watch the game have a hot dog. I'll smack him in his head. Try bringing some carrot sticks to the ball game instead. The University of Hawaii has found that eating hot dogs and sausages increases the chance of getting pancreatic cancer by almost 70%. Ketchup. Hot, kick-ass mustard. <laughs> Look at that! Sodium nitrate, a common ingredient in this processed meat, has been found to cause colorectal cancer and leukemia, while other studies point to a link between its consumption and brain tumors. And if you eat these bad boys with condiments, look out. Here's how I like them, and I suggest you have them the same way. Engineered to resist spoiling, many of these contain unnatural preservatives and additives. I want to buy eight hot dogs and eight hot dog buns to go with them. But no one sells eight hot dog buns. They only sell 12 hot dog buns. So I end up paying for four buns I don't need. So I am removing the superfluous buns. Number three. Anything deep fried. Do I look like I eat French fries? I don't know, you look like you're in great shape, but maybe you have like one cheat day, like a carb, carb blowout. Maybe you shouldn't have fries with that. In addition to French fries, things like fried chicken, fish, and donuts undergo quite a few changes after being subjected to high temperatures. From deep fried avocados to deep fried bacon wrapped pickles. Charlie's motto, if he can fit it in a fryer, he'll fry it. For one, Deep-frying food allows it to develop advanced glycation end products, which is a known factor in chronic inflammation and stress. Give me a basket, please. Science. I don't know yet. Still think about it. I watch my figure. In addition to increasing the risk of prostate cancer by up to almost 40% when eaten weekly, things like french fries can also give you a stroke or cancer in anything from your neck and esophagus to your breasts and pancreas. Why don't you have a bite? and stop judging it. I'm not going to bite into a fried bat. It's That's delicious. It's all tendon. Look at it. Searching for the perfect family ski vacation? Find it with Burbo. They search... Got it. Number two, soda. Hey, guys, hey! Next time you reach for that Coke, steer your hand to the water bottle instead. According to one report, one can of pop generally has about 10 teaspoons of sugar, 150 calories, over 30 milligrams of caffeine, and is full of artificial colors and sulfites. Let's not forget to mention that the acidity of pop makes your acid-filtering kidneys suffer and weakens the bones, leading to diseases like osteoporosis. You're the Diet Coke of evil. Just one calorie, not evil enough. Diet soda is arguably even worse, containing aspartame, which has been linked to insomnia, epilepsy, blindness, birth defects, and reproductive problems, just to name a few. Before we unveil our top pick, here are a few honorable, or in this case, dishonorable mentions. You whisk this all together, and when it's mixed, it should, fingers crossed, taste like ranch dressing. We shouldn't be eating red meat every single day. There is no need to eat red meat every single day. One number eight. All right, party time. I would suggest sticking around and watching him eat it because it only takes four minutes and it's pretty amazing. These will not be necessary. So when you refine something, you remove a lot of the mechanisms that allow you to safely utilize the nutrients and the sugars and the calories in that food. So while margarine was initially seen as a healthier option, its own hazards slowly came to light. Number one, pastries. Smells chocolatey, eh? Now, eat it. We're looking at you, donuts, cookies, muffins, cakes, and other sugary treats. While all of these might not necessarily be categorized as pastries, we are grouping them all together as baker's confectioneries here. 
You gave them cake? I gave them slivers. <laughs> These appealing yet unwholesome treats can boast no significant nutritional benefits at all. Not only that, but they commonly contain some of the worst ingredients a human can ingest, all in abundance. Pile. Sir, jelly donut, sir! A jelly donut? Sir, yes, sir! How did it get here? Sugar, artificial ingredients, food additives, and calories are just some of the factors you have to consider before taking a bite. Just looking at one pastry, namely donuts, most of these contain 35 to 40% trans fats, which is the very worst kind, and is known to bring on cancer, brain, and heart disease. Oh my god. <laughs> Do you agree with our list? I will not finish. Which unhealthy snack do you think belongs on our list? Careful, they're ruffled. For more informative top tens published every day, be sure to subscribe to WatchMojo.com. Yeah, right. Okay, well, I'll leave you too. The top 10. I don't know about you, but um, I saw donuts, I saw bacon, I saw the soda, I saw the bagel. Some of these things I've known about over the years, but I'll tell you, most of the people out there all enjoy bacon. Now the question is, what are we going to do about it? So use your discretion and how we go about making decisions about our diet. A lot of these foods, including the hot dog and the the, the bratwurst too, can um, taste very good and be associated with some serious health consequences. So I encourage you all to continue learning about what is good for you and what is not, and just trying to make good decisions. So this will mark our second episode where we've had a chance to try to educate about nutrition and to, to move forward into the new year with making some healthy choices. I believe as we do that, we're gonna begin to get less calories. We're gonna begin to take in less salt in our diets, which will hopefully lead to uh, less cancer risk, less blood pressure challenges, less issues with obesity, improving any issues with diabetes, as you all know by now, 30 million people are diabetic and another 90 million plus pre-diabetics. And, and now we can see why. When you look at these videos and you begin to increase your health IQ, it becomes quite clear that we as a nation, we as a people, um, have a lot to learn because in many cases we just don't know. Sometimes you might even wonder, why don't we learn this stuff in school, health education? Um, I remember taking home economics when we learned how to cook, but we didn't quite get all this very important information. We see, I see it every day, the strokes, the blood pressure, the diabetes, the heart disease, but now you can begin to see why we have such a, a big issue with heart disease being the number one killer, with prostate cancer with the diabetes and, and, and all the other issues, obesity, the apnea. Uh, we've got to exercise, we've got to make good decisions, and we've got to continually get smarter. So I, I think as we move into the year, we're going to continue to focus on lifestyle changes, choices, and education. I believe in the coming weeks we'll be talking more about salt in our diets and how we can continue to learn more about the salt and to be aware of which foods have high amounts of salt and how we can make decisions because we already know that if your blood pressure is above 120 over 80, which for many people it is, it's high blood pressure and it's putting you at a high risk for heart issues and other issues and now we can see that our diets can easily give us in one meal higher than the daily recommended amount of sodium and again that's what we're here for we're here to help educate we're here to make you smarter 
We're here to prevent health complications, prevent premature death, prevent the diabetes and the heart disease. And in short, we're here to increase your health IQ so that we all can continue to be healthy and be with our loved ones and to enjoy life. So this concludes today's episode. I want to thank you all for joining in and watching, watching us today. And we're going to go into um, to break now, and I will see you next week. Uh, again, Dr. Daryl Hill, Laurel Medical Associates. Check us out on social media and laurelmedicine.com, 301-497-0401. See you next time. Thank you.